Everybody. Welcome to the November 4th, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the Chicago Cubs defeating the Cleveland Indians in Game 7 of the World Series on Thursday, snapping a 108-year championship drought. Uh, absolutely amazing, historic night, uh, amazing to watch. I threw it first to P Patricia Calhoun, uh, probably one of the only lineages that maybe uh, predate the Cubs from Chicago. Your thoughts. And might have a bigger losing record. No, my, <laughs> my family moved to Chicago like in the 1870s and lived in the same town for all that time. My dad, 90 years old, born and bred there. And now we finally get to sell. He got to see the Cubs win a World Series. So there is a lot of cheering going on in Chicago. Even though my heart is here in Colorado, you cannot get over the lineage and just what that decades and decades, a century plus of being a loser. It kind of gets inbred in you. I think there's a lot of Coloradans, regardless of lineage, that are with you 100%. A lot of folks are cheering on uh, for that game. Craig Silverman, attorney, attorney with Silverman Levis and a talk show host on KNUS Saturday mornings. Uh, your thoughts on this historic win? It's a huge event. The world is not quite the same, although I think they kind of lost their identity. They're not the Cubbies anymore. They, uh, we felt it with the Broncos. Good for them. I hope we get to feel it with the Rockies someday. Won't that be fun, driving over here by Coors Field, just thinking about it? And uh, then what about the Nuggets? If they ever were in the NBA championship, that would be cool. The neatest thing about the Ricketts family from Chicago, they were belittled by Donald Trump, and then Donald Trump uh, has made up with them, and now they're a winner. And uh, this Donald Trump's the greatest maker-upper I've ever seen. <laughs> we're going we're to see that in about four days. We'll see that. Uh, Eric Sonnen, political analyst, um, do you remember seeing a better baseball game? I remember seeing games that were better played. Okay. There were plenty of errors in that game. Sure, it was sure. not a totally clean game. The word I used for that game was epic. It was epic. Everything about it, including then the 17-minute rain delay, which I really think benefited the Cubs because mm -hmm. it slowed down the momentum. It was just an epic game. It was so much fun to watch. You know, the Cubs have always been the lovable losers. Well, you take the second half away from that now. They're no longer the losers. We'll see if they remain lovable. Everyone identified with the Red Sox, and then now the Red Sox, after winning a few championships, they become like the Yankees again. So we'll see if the Cubs remain lovable. The best part of this whole thing, Roger Angel, for baseball fans, Roger Angel is like the baseball writer of the last 50 years. He's now well into his 90s. He still hasn't lost it. He had a column during the series in one of the New York papers. And his thesis was, let's make this best 8 out of 15 instead of 4 out of 7. Let's make it best 8 out of 15 for two reasons. One, it is so much fun. And secondly, it was such a welcome distraction from this despicable campaign we're having. And now we're back to the campaign. No thanks to Craig, who brought it into this, who brought it into this question. And rounding out the panel, Natasha Gardner, senior editor of 5280 Magazine. Uh, did you let your little one stay up and watch history? He did. But nice. I have to say, both good and bad, the Comcast short out... 
very frustrating for a lot of people, but it gave us enough time to give our little one a bath before the game <laughs> picked up again. That was the only good thing about the Comcast um, outage. What I will say is that, uh, you know, there there is a similarity in the, the front office for the Cubs and for the Red Sox when they mm -hmm. were able to get rid of their curses. I'm just saying that the Rockies have a pretty long stint here. Perhaps we could use some help if Theo is looking to relocate to Colorado. I can't think of a better state. He could name his price anywhere he wants to go. I heard a uh, uh, on a radio podcast with Mike and Mike saying, I, now I know I'm writing for president, Theo Epstein. <laughs> so any job I think he'd be good at. Let's get to it. A University of Denver poll released this week shows Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump neck and neck at 39% among likely voters in Colorado. Third-party candidates Jill Stein and Gary Johnson combined to make up 15% of the poll, while 8% remain undecided. Meanwhile, presidential candidates and family members continue to visit Colorado this week and will be here this weekend. Uh, Patty, for several weeks we've been writing off Colorado and lamenting that we're not a swing state anymore and we didn't get any attention. Well, we're back to Sally Field status. We're, we're back to getting all the attention. Is, do we merit the attention? Well, I would be happier if we didn't have all that attention on us. Remember when the University of Denver hosted the debate eight, uh, eight years ago and it was just such a really strong event and you, DU looked so great? What's happened to DU? How could they do a poll that came out with a dead heat at this point? You look around Colorado and you just don't see it, but you never know. Maybe there's secret pockets of... Uh, Trumpism that I'm just not aware of in this town. Certainly, it's not the people who've been following his son's really brilliant performances in Colorado. Yesterday, we had Eric Trump um, on, the on the air with Ross Kaminsky at KHOW talking about how, oh, maybe David Duke should take a bullet. Now, no one really is a big fan of David Duke, but that still doesn't mean we should be executing him. Uh, so there's that. Then we also had Donald Trump Jr. who made fun of the Aurora Theater shootings. Mm -hmm also really not very sensitive. I would, be, I would be really happy to get rid of all the different people coming to stump on behalf of the candidates, all the surrogates. It is just getting exhausting. It's blocking the streets. It is definitely clogging my mind. I would like them gone, and I'll be very happy when Tuesday is over. It is like we are living in this bizarro parallel universe. <laughs> well, let's go right to there. Craig, are we living in a bizarro world? Maybe. The Cubs won. So uh, <laughs> here's the thing. I'm the perfect, late-deciding, independent voter. And because I do talk radio, it's fascinating. It's scary, too. At times, depressing. I hate this early voting that we have in Colorado because I'm a trial lawyer. Every court battle, it's only fair to hear all of the evidence and listen to the final closing arguments. And a lot has happened since the ballots went out. This uh, last Friday, James Comey, I mean, there's a war going on between the FBI and the Department of Justice. This is calamitous for our country. And if Hillary Clinton's elected, it's going to continue. You can get rid of Comey as a 10-year term, but you can make him leave. But you've got hundreds of FBI guys who have investigated Clinton Cash. And how many times around this table have you guys talked about Clinton Cash? I read it two years ago. I've had Peter Schweitzer on my show three times. It's factual. It's disturbing. It's selling out the office of Secretary of State for the personal enrichment of the Clintons and their buddies. And it's all being corroborated now on WikiLeaks. And there's Project Veritas stuff where the Democrats pay to beat up people. This guy, Robert Kramer, husband of Jan Schakowsky, 
connected to Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, people are paying attention. And that's why Donald Trump could win Colorado. I think this early voting, the Democrats have put in more ballots, but I think a lot of those ballots may say Gary Johnson on it. I had Gary Johnson on my show this past Saturday, and he made a little national news. CNN picked up on it because he called Hillary Clinton corrupt, and she is corrupt. And so when people come to see that, they're like me. Sometimes I object in court, but sometimes I say, I really object, <laughs> and I do object to Hillary Clinton, so much so that I'm thinking about voting for Donald Trump, which is pretty darn scary because I see all his flaws just like you do. So you say you do talk radio. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I, uh, well, you can, and he's also in David's chair. That's so true. It's a it's double a, there's whammy. a lot of different things coming to play here. Eric, when you look at this poll, um, is this more about Trump momentum or Clinton decline? Yes. <laughs> yes and yes. It is about both. I mean, the, the CNN this morning had an electrical electoral map with Hillary below 270, or at least potentially below 270. There has been a drain on Clinton's support over the last two weeks. You always want to, these things are always ebb and flows and ebb and flows or roller coasters, but you want to end on the uptick. And Trump, I don't know if it's through luck or conniving or good strategy, is ending on an uptick, and, and Clinton is, seems to be ending on a downtick. Now, we still have four days to go, and in this wild thing, no one would predict uh, what is still out there. I go back to what we have talked about before. If Colorado is competitive, if Colorado is close, much close meaning maybe a point or two, much less if Trump wins Colorado, he is likely to win the country. I, if he can sell that message in Colorado, where he has done everything possible to offend this state, whether it was calling our caucus system, which I'm not a, anyone who watches knows I'm not a fan of the caucus system, but when he attacked the Republican establishment back during the, those days for um, a rigged, rigged system here, his comments about Latino voters, the goldmine of Colorado politics has always been suburban college-educated women. He has done everything possible to alienate that constituency. If he can still be competitive in this state, um, then there may be a wave going across the country. It might be, as Patty's words, bizarro, bizarro land here. And we've, you know, Lord knows we've lived through a bizarro, a bizarro campaign. Natasha, I both respect Floyd Cerulli, who is part of this polling, and the University of Denver. They're both credible in my eyes. But the other part for me is timing. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, we've, people have had uh, their ballots in their house, or probably gotten rid of them by now, for a long time in Colorado. So how much effect, uh, how do you look at that when you look at early election here in Colorado, and how you perceive this poll? Well, what I think is interesting, too, is not just the timing of the fact that it comes so late after many people have their ballots and have probably actually voted, but in addition to that, it comes right after Trump is in Colorado and makes his statements about the legitimacy of the results. So one, one of the numbers is sort of buried in this, this poll that they gave was that 22% of people said that if Hillary won, they would question the legitimacy of the election. And drilling down even further in that, if... If Hillary won, Trump supporters felt 47% of them thought or would question the legitimacy of the election. And again, that comes shortly after Trump makes those statements here in Colorado. So those type of things can really sway the mood of a poll like this. But I think that points to maybe a more... Um, 
threatening or concerning result than who wins, whether it's Hillary or Trump, this country has a lot of ground to make up in reunifying, reunifying over a variety of issues. And that particular number points to that more than anything, more than who you are actually going to vote for. And what we do after the election, I think, is a really key thing and that we need to study. And that's what this, this poll started to, started to discuss, at least. You wonder if either one of them at the end of the day are going to want this job on November 9th. <laughs> With Election Day around the corner, President Obama is weighing in on the race for Congressional District 6. This week, he endorsed Morgan Carroll, who is challenging incumbent Mike Kaufman in one of Colorado's most competitive contests. Meanwhile, President Obama also issued endorsements for some of the hotly contested State House and Senate races here in Colorado. Craig, uh, it's no surprise a Democratic president uh, endorsing Democratic candidates, but uh, here's a Democratic president with the, I think, depending on where you read it, 56, 57 percent approval rating. He's doing pretty well. Uh, does, do his endorsements matter? Oh, yeah. In the right environment, like CD6, that's perfect territory. This will help Morgan a lot. I've known Morgan Carroll for a long time. I respect her, not just as a person, but as a lawyer. And I didn't like it when Mike Kaufman went after her for being a lawyer. I thought that was a low blow. She has a good reputation. Uh, and, but Mike Kaufman, uh, you know, Donald Trump's so mixed up in that race. At the time that uh, Mike Kaufman made that commercial saying, I don't care for Donald Trump very much, the NBC Marist poll showed uh, Trump trailing by 40 points in the eastern suburbs of Denver. That was at a real low point for Donald Trump. But even if Donald Trump surges, as we just talked about, it won't be in CD6, it won't be in Denver. And so, I think Morgan Carroll's got a chance, and I think Barack Obama's endorsement could uh, put her over the top. And just speaking of endorsements, hasn't it been interesting that Cynthia Kaufman has not been visible in any of the campaign of Mike Kaufman? What's up with that? She might be busy being attorney general, but I mean, that, that, that's a good point. She hasn't been on the campaign trail. Eric, as, as you look at uh, the top of the ticket gets all the attention, but when you look at the state legislature, state senate, um, those are razor-thin majorities here in Colorado, and that is usually what affects our lives much more than top of the ticket here in Colorado. Where do you think it goes from what you've seen in the campaign? The states, uh, most people suspect the state house will stay Democratic and maybe that margin, which is now three seats, 34, 31, it might grow by a few seats. The state Senate is the battleground. If the Republicans lose the state Senate here, then they have no toehold at the state capitol. You have a Democratic governor, you have a Democratic house. The state Senate is the game. Most people think it comes down to three contested seats. The Democrats to take, right now they're down 17 to 18. So to turn that around, they need to win three out of three because two out of the three seats, they're playing defense. They're trying to hold a seat. Um, so they need to hold those two and pick up one. Appropriately, all three seats are in the Denver suburbs. There's an Adams County seat, there's a Jeffco seat, and there's an Arapahoe County seat. That is where Colorado, poli that's the epicenter of Colorado uh, politics these days. And that will be very interesting on election night. To the sixth CD, first of all, I tend to take the Obama endorsements. I mean, when did a Democratic president endorsing Democratic candidates become front page news. I mean, you know, it is just, it's expected. Uh, I don't know that endorsements move the meter all that much. You talk about Obama's popularity in the waning days of his presidency, and what's amazing to me is how untransferable that seems to have been to Hillary Clinton. 
just as Bill Clinton's popularity in the waning days of his presidency didn't transfer onto Al Gore. Now, part of that was that Gore consciously ran away from Bill Clinton. Hillary is not doing that. She is embracing Obama, both Michelle and uh, President Obama, at every opportunity. 6CD, if Mike Kaufman can survive this year in this environment, and not just with any Republican at the top of the ticket, but a Republican particularly toxic to immigrant groups, and that 6CD is a, a amalgamation of, I'm not just talking about Latino immigrants, I mean it's immigrants of all kinds. If Mike Kaufman can survive this, and I'm not sure he can, we'll see, but if he can survive this, then he is truly untouchable and he can have that seat as long as he wants, perhaps until redistricting. Natasha, uh, we're seeing Governor Hickenlooper campaign actively on TV, at least for those three hotly contested Senate seats. Uh, I'm really sure if the Republicans really have an equivalent, but we're not seeing anything that's unifying the fight there. Do those, when you see the governor of Colorado on TV doing that, is that going to, do you think, sway some of those tight races? I think it doesn't hurt, but in this race, as in most races in Colorado, it's not about people who are registered Democrat and registered Republican. It's about everyone else in the middle. So it's about whoever they can sway to vote more Democrat or more Republican in this race. So does Hickenlooper endorsement help those the middle area? Perhaps. Um, he's had a bit of a tough year, so I think that his popularity is, is not at its strongest moment right now. Um, but I think that what we're going to see on election night is a lot of this uncertainty is going to become very, very clear. It's going to be, if this happens, then that happens. If, if those independent voters lean Democratic, then Dominoes. down the way. Patty, uh, where do you think the legislature ends up this time next week? I think the odds are good it is still going to have, the Republicans are still going to have the Senate. I'm going with this DU poll right now, and if, if Trump has 39% of this state, you just have to think, even though the C, um, CD6 is a, not a microcosm of the whole state, you know, Kaufman is a far more respectable character than Donald Trump. And you've got to think he will be able to pull it out if indeed Trump even comes close to Hillary Clinton. Um, and I think probably just because there's enough discontent with the powers that be, the people who are in position, that I think the Senate will stay Republican. I just think people, and it's going to affect some of the ballot measures, too. I think people really do not want to vote for the status quo across the board. So maybe we'll see people not doing a straight party ticket, but picking and choosing a little more than before. Close to $48 million has been spent on campaigns for statewide ballot initiatives so far, including a campaign featuring John Elway. Energy companies have heavily contributed to the Raise the Bar campaign, addressing Colorado's election and constitutional amendment process. Eric, we uh, had the chance to see debates on all these different issues right here in our studio. Um, now that we're seeing these campaigns come into the, the home stretch and seeing John Elway involved, uh, does he sway the Amendment 71 campaign? He doesn't hurt. He's a better testimonial than, you know, most conventional politicians. Uh, the problem with Amendment 71 in a lot of eyes is, I mean, the whole campaign in favor of it, and I've been on record as talking about the flaws of Amendment 71 since after we did that debate, but uh, it's an establishment campaign. It's all the establishment types in the state trying to push Amendment 71 all the insiders, if you will, in the ultimate outsider year. Well, John Elway, yes, he's an insider, but he's an insider in a completely different universe. So uh, his presence doesn't hurt. Back to Patty's comment, I'm just going backwards a tiny bit. I'm finding 
one of the things I'm really going to pay attention to next Tuesday night, I think the most interesting piece of this election, is whether ticket splitting comes back. Ticket splitting 20, 30 years ago, when a lot of us were young, and we won't talk about Natasha's age, <laughs> um, was the name of the game. It was the norm in Colorado, it was the norm throughout this country. As our political system has polarized, as the parties have polarized, ticket splitting has been totally going downhill, it's been on the wane. Will ticket splitting make a reappearance here in Colorado and throughout the country, particularly if we're electing a President Hillary Clinton? Will there be votes to try to balance her power by uh, keeping Republicans in control of one or even two branches of Congress? That's interesting. On the ballot issues, you know, I think to the extent we're in for a late night, we'll see if we're in for a late night. It's not going to be the U.S. Senate race. You can call that at one minute after seven. And I know there's headlines out there about polls closing. I'm not buying that. You'll call that race early. It might be the congressional one or two of these congressional races, but I think it's going to be the ballot issues that are of most interest. Natasha, we're all um, you know political junkies here, so I get the fact that we know that the oil and gas folks are putting a lot of money into Amendment 71. But it's pretty public out there. You don't have to dig too far to, uh, to see that. So I guess I'm surprised I'm not, we're not hearing more from the uh, anti-fractivists who, uh, or I guess it would be the fractivists, who would be really restrained of doing a lot with the Constitution if this does pass. Are you surprised? No. I think maybe they came late to the game on this one, um, perhaps not as quite as organized as they would have liked in retrospect um, to, to battle it. But I, I think that with all of these, these issues, voters care about who the money is behind them to an extent, but it doesn't ultimately direct their vote. If it did, we'd probably have tougher campaign finance laws. Um, and to that, to that extent, I, I do think it's interesting, though, the, the John Elway um, type of endorsements and pulling people like that in. Now, 5280 picked John Elway as one of the most powerful people, in fact, the most powerful pe person in the state um, a few years ago, exactly because of this. This, this situation. His pull with the Broncos is huge, yes, but he also has a huge pull with the general population, just with his general popularity. So now that he is coming into this politically, I think we could see more of a political future for John, but I also think that we can see people taking note of this and finding other people like him to become key players in these conversations moving forward. Patty, does uh, Elway get another fourth quarter win here? I'm not sure. You know, 71, people have the feeling that it is business, you know, that it's the power insiders pushing it. And I don't think John Elway touting it helps them any, that perception any. So that could be one of the surprises of this election season. I mean, who, there isn't anyone like John Elway. Blinky the clown's gone. I mean, who else is going to be out there <laughs> touting, touting amendments? It is, when you talk about ticket splitting, this is such a complicated ballot. You really have to think a lot about so many of these measures. And I've had more people asking me questions. They really care. They're really trying to figure it out. I think Colorado's voters are going to spend more time on this ballot than any other ballot for a long time. Craig, it's an historic ballot. It's huge. It's got a lot of different races. Wrap it up for us. Well, I really like and respect John Elway, but I think this might have been cooked up on one of the holes at Cherry Hills. I mean, they have so much money, these oil and gas guys, that they put on those commercials with uh, former Attorney General and Secretary of the Interior, Gail Norton, saying, look, we thought we were going to get a ballot initiative, and we have all this leftover money, and so... They decided instead of making those commercials, try to make it more difficult when the fractivists come after them. And it's a smart move. And I, 
it's a tough one to decide since I do respect Elway, and I think he's smart, and uh, maybe he's got it right. But on 107 and 108 on the primaries, uh, I'd say pay to play. Isn't that the Clinton philosophy? As an independent voter, if I'm paying for the election, I want to participate. And on 106, I'm voting for that. And Matt Larson, who is an attorney and a proponent, will be on my show tomorrow. He's convinced me, and I think he'll convince you. All right. Let's get to the easiest part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, this entire election season is clearly the disgrace, but... Um We'll have plenty of opportunities to talk about that. I have got to return to what Natasha pointed out, Comcast. I was with six people from my high school class watching the game, and all of a sudden the game went blank for so long, which was really quite bad. So I thank the people who I'd never met who had dish next door and allowed our party to come in. So thank you to the Crawfords. <laughs> Greg. You know, it's more of a disappointment than a disgrace. You know how I love this show and this roundtable, but I don't think you've had people willing to fairly consider what Trump and his candidacy were about, like a John Andrews or a Todd Shepard or me, although I'm late to the party, and I still kind of can't believe I would vote for Donald Trump, but I might. And I think Daryl Glenn should be given a fair shot, and if he loses, you might invite him here. He's a smart guy with a lot to say. He should probably agree to do more debates if he's going to be considered seriously. But I get your point. Eric? I have to push back a little bit. I mean, we've had <laughs> David Copel and myself, among others. But David hates Trump. Uh, uh, have been brutally on, on both candidates. John Andrews has been on this show. Todd Shepard has been on this show. Uh, I'm going to push back a little bit, Craig. I think there has been some balance. Real quickly, we're running out of time. For my disgrace, we're about to retry Clarence Moses L. starting this coming Monday. I do not get it. He served, Craig's the prosecutor at the table, or former prosecutor. He has served 28 years for a crime that most evidence now is he didn't commit. Even if they convict him again, and they won't convict him, you're not going to get a Denver jury to convict him. Even if they convict him again, he's done his time. Mm -hmm. This is not the way Mitch Morrissey should be leaving office. I do not get why he chose this path. Natasha. An interesting segue from that. There was a Fox 31 report that just came out about the prosecution of rapes in Denver and looking at how the, how hard they are to bring to trial. Um, they found that seven in ten cases there are no charges, and the cases that do go to trial, only seven percent of them find prison time. So Stunning. it's an interesting juxtaposition. Much less than a minute, say something nice about somebody rather quickly. Easy vote. Go for the S SCFD. Charlie Brennan and Kevin Bond got a hold of DNA data in Sean Benet, and they uh, exposed that Mary Lacey's exoneration was phony and wrong. And good job, guys. It's fun to have talk radio back. Eric. Karina Pulek, a young attorney at Hogan Lovells, was killed by all accounts, didn't know her all accounts, a wonderful attorney, a wonderful young woman, killed by a hit-and-run driver last weekend. Sad, despicable. Natasha. We start with sports. I'll end with sports. The Colorado Rapids are in the playoffs. They play on Sunday. You're here. That is all time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to check out our election coverage along with CBS4 this Tuesday evening from 7 to 10 p.m. Also, later tonight at 9 o'clock and 9.30, both sides of the story, our tournament concludes with its third place in championship round. Folks, at 9.30, we have a championship round. That's one of the best debates we've ever taped in the studio. And finally, a quick shout-out to Elizabeth Gleason, one of our big fans. All of her, uh, really appreciate her support of Colorado and all of you who have uh, voiced your support for us throughout the season and even the critics uh, we have over with Mr. Silverman. For everyone here at Colorado, 
Ankara Public Television. I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.